Hello everybody and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. Uh, this is Bottom of the Beaker, the weekly show about the design decks and strategy of Keyforge. That's everybody's, and I mean everybody's, favorite unique deck game. I'm JT Russell, and with me tonight is the man who plans to spend the next 30 to 60 minutes convincing us that middle-aged is 35 to 57 years old. <laughs> 34 to 57? Oh, okay. Let's start over again. Back up. All right. That never happened. 34 to 57 years old? No, oh, yeah. We'll keep it all in there. You know what happened, though? Because we were talking about this, and you threw a Dante quote out there. I did. That had 35 in it, and that stuck in my brain. Yeah. He was 35 years old when he wrote the uh, Inferno. And he Is that right? referred to it. He was, yeah. He was born in 1265, and it was written right around 1300, and he talks about his midlife's journey um, at 35. He considered that his, his middle-aged years. So I think that still applies, even though life expectancy is slightly up in the last 724 years. Mm. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, we're sloppy with our intros and sloppy with our, our math too, apparently. So that's, that's all, all in keeping with the things. I don't yeah, know. it's been 724 years. Yeah, but I mean, we're still calling. I wonder, what was, what was life expectancy in 1300? Oh, very low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like around the time of the Black Plague. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, life expectancy was not good back then. I mean, I feel like you've got you've to boost that, that middle age benchmark a little bit. With, You're just trying to, to make yourself feel younger than you really are. It's okay, <laughs> JT. Just embrace the middle ageness. You, I, I mean, I know you're a, I know you're a seventy at heart. We're born seventy at heart. I was born seventy, as my wife says. I may be middle aged on paper, but I am still very sloppy in, in practice. So <laughs> that's what counts. Yeah, that's what counts. Now I'm trying to figure out a way to tie this all together into tonight's topic, and it's just not possible. I'm sorry. I don't know if I ever completed the intro. Welcome, quick draw, three, four, five, seven. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, it's good to be here. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're uh, talking tonight about a double-sided artifact, uh, one that's near and dear to our hearts. It's Universal Keylock. Uh, Universal Keylock. I apologize in advance because I'm reading some sci-fi right now, and I will almost certainly, almost certainly, say Universal Airlock at some point tonight. It could be a Mars artifact in the future. You never know. It would be a good Mars artifact, actually. Kind of at kind of at home in Mars, I think. Would it be an airlock that you could put anyone in, or would it be an airlock that you could put universes in? Universe airlock? Ooh. So this is this is a great topic for another time. Um, I think uh, Keyforge kind of blends kind of blends um, like mechanical identity of the houses a little bit, a little bit more than you might be used to from some other games, and does it. And justifies it with flavor. You can justify pretty much anything with the right flavor treatment. It would be interesting to do a sort of a deep dive into kind of mechanical identity and also flavor identity, and maybe even look at some of the, I don't know, not offenders, but cases where, yeah, this is probably not a Mars card per se, but we gave it the flavor treatment and it all came out in the wash. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. There is definitely a lot of overlap, especially when you get to like Star Alliance. And that's, mm. that's like by theme has overlap with other houses cool well yes not universal airlock but universal keylock is what we're talking about this evening uh so yeah i'm excited for this one it's actually one that uh i've wanted to talk about for a while and we always said we would uh you know do it justice and then we looked back at the list and it was still there and we're like are we ever going to do this justice let's just do it <laughs> 
Uh, so here we are. We've got a few decks pulled up, but I don't know. Best way to best way to go about it. We know what do we look for in a uh, keylock deck? Maybe that's the best place to start. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great place to start. We we kind of have this. We have the same questions we ask every time we have a double sided artifact episode, and it's uh, what do you look for in that deck, and uh, what makes it a keylock deck versus a deck with keylock. And there's definitely synergies you always look for with double-sided artifact decks. Um, Keylock is not one that I have a ton of experience playing, but I have had the fortune of watching you, and not tonight, play a pretty good number of games where it feels like I have almost played with it at this point. Um, but I went back <laughs> and looked at my decks, and I have virtually virtually no decks that I like that have it. Um, the one that you were featuring on the Splash page at the start is a Dark Tidings deck, and the only reason that I actually... And mildly interested in that one is because it happens to be my Polish Whirlpool deck. Uh, and I've yet to play it. I have too many Whirlpool decks, I can't play them all. But um, it doesn't have a ton of stuff that I look for in a Keylock deck, but let's first just kind of like give the little intro to the Keylock itself. It is a Logos artifact with one pip. Uh, it's an item. Keys cost plus three. After a player forges a key, destroy universal keylock it appears in worlds collide mass mutation dark tidings and in the vault master set uh if you recognize that set's existence um it's there uh so um came along in worlds collide and i think it came at a time when there was some some decent synergies with it um cutthroat research we were just talking about a minute ago before we we came on is a good one uh it gives you a little bit of value for that that can actually take them off check with it uh so that's pretty cool um anything that i think really impacts scaling amber or in a way that impacts their amber when they're above six i think is a good one tmtp is one that's pretty obvious as well I feel like we talk about tmtp every episode it just it combos so well with like everything um but i would say it wouldn't be an episode of bot on the beaker and we wouldn't be on sloppy lab work if we didn't give a shout out to auto encoder here <laughs> I was like, how does this relate to Rector? <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> no, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Rector had, I don't know. Does Rector, ha Rector has a cutthroat. There we go. Has, We've tied it in. Cutthroat. Two cutthroats even, I think. Yeah. But always be card discarding. Auto encoder um, is kind of a sneaky good card with Keylock because there's a lot of times you play the Keylock and you don't want to be the one to pop it. You don't want to pay nine. And neither does your opponent. You lose that value, that tempo. And so what better way to make sure you don't than to kind of defer that value to the future with an autoencoder. Uh, so I think that's, that's one that's like not a super obvious combo, like Cutthroat or TMTP might be, that uh, still gives a lot of good value, I think, with it. Yeah, the combo potential of this is very interesting. And it turns on, I mean, speaking of mechanical identities, right? Uh, Logos is a house that doesn't typically allow you to take someone off check outside of key cost increasers like Eddie or key lock as it were and although you have the you have the odd thing like information exchange and some some fight effects here and there with the drones cutthroat research a card that I, I love but is not very good you know typically at taking somebody off of a check mm -hmm. um, so it's that bittersweet yeah i stole two but you get to still forge so it puts you in that range funky card with key lock right because i may take you off of check only to put myself into a position to forge for nine and is that even a good thing that i want to be doing it's a good point so like, what is a situation where you're fine forging for nine with key lock out? Is there ever a situation? That's a great question. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about what it is though. I'm dancing right now. Uh, no, usually uh, 
Usually, I'm okay forging for nine if I'm going to follow it up with a graft or some such like that. Mm. Um, I'm remembering of one notable game with Aslan versus one of JDG's uh, mass mutation decks, Daniela. Danielle? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. An Italian one, I think. Daniela, I think. I think uh, I want to say it's... Uh, he says it's Italian, but I think it might be Portuguese. It could be. It's always English on TCO to me, so I'm not much help there between Portuguese and Italian, at least uh, as far as the title of this one goes. But that was a super interesting game because because of this keylock versus uh, Brig interaction. And it was kind of like, yeah, do I even play the do I even play the keylock? I'm letting you I'm, you know, stalling for you, right? Giving you time to find this combo when you do Brig me, like mm-hmm. like you're going to get that you're going to collect even more. And I'm I'm fine forging for 9 if it means I'm going to plus six, the amber I steal from you potentially, right? True, yeah. Dataforge stream has the correct answer in the chat. And the correct answer is when you forge key three, you are perfectly fine paying nine for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for greatness at any cost uh, and key three at any cost as well, for sure. <laughs> I like that, very astute. Um, you have a few really cool decks and so you've you've had more experience playing with key lock. So like, what do you look for in a key lock deck? Yeah, I think there are uh, at least my experience with it, uh, there are kind of a few different classes of key lock decks, right? There's uh, There are decks that are actively using it for amber control, and they're still sort of racing. And then there are decks that are trying to slow the game down and using it to kind of create a mini game or a stalemate situation. Did I say there were three? I meant there were two, two kind of big broad <laughs> categories. But one of those we're going to expand a little bit, and it's going to feel like three. So I have a few decks that I that I pulled up. We won't, we won't go too much into them, but we'll, we'll kind of talk about them at a high level. Uh, one is not really a key lock deck, but does have key lock in it and uses it to great effect. So I wouldn't say that it's a card that the deck revolves around, um, but the deck makes great use of it. And every time I see our teammate Not Tonight playing this deck, I'm always impressed at the value she gets out of Keylock with this deck. So the deck is uh, Miłosz Macho Skazenyk. No, me too? I don't know. You want to try? You want to give that Not one a try? Not at all. You did much better than I could. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about Polish pronunciations, but it feels like you did pretty good there. I feel good about the Miłosz. I'm not sure about the Macho. I know the SZ is a, more of a sh sort of a sound, but yeah the second two words we'll have to go to the judges i guess but this is very much a racing deck it can go wide on the board 26 expected amber 17 pips only 3.7 amber control and actually the universal key lock is the first line under the amber control uh tooltip index of keyforge when you hover, hover over that um that setting so when your list of amber control options starts with universal key lock you're probably not a uh a deck that's doing a great job controlling Amber. But this deck often does a great job at putting itself in a position to forge a key and then immediately dropping that key lock to make uh, you be on the back foot uh, dealing with that plus three Amber control boost because it can race so well, right? So if you can race, you can put yourself into a position where you're able to forge a key and then follow up with a key lock, hopefully without losing much tempo in the process, right? Like you don't want to be really chaining yourself necessarily with the key lock. And when you are in a position with this deck and have to play it maybe outside of that one-two punch scenario, right? That setup and payoff as it were, it also has these very handy three reclaim by natures. So it can it can get sort of a, a small tempo boost uh, and then immediately uh, blow it up, purge it when it's ready to go for a big burst. Uh, so yeah, very, very impressed with how the deck makes use of the key lock. It's a deck that races. It's a deck that doesn't want to slow down its amper reduction, 
right? It's trying to forge keys. It's not going to stop you very effectively, right? It doesn't have tons of tools to control your amber or your keys. So it can't really afford to so wait wait there and let you kind of make your make your monies while it sets up. Um, generally speaking, right? Uh, it does have lots of creatures. So if it if you're going to give it time to set up, like like it can get going on the board. But uh, but yeah, this is very much a deck that's gonna that's gonna race hard um, and uh, and hope to not stumble over the key lock itself or wait for or wait for you to you know take a lot of time worrying about whether or not you're going to forge through it. Which I think is kind of maybe even a little unique in the world of key lock decks, um, as it were. It might be, but you're speaking my language now because you're talking about rush decks playing this card, and it really rings a bell for me because when I think about a number of decks that I enjoy playing uh, rush decks, like it's so important to get that first key for various reasons. And so, like we've talked about, uh, Ken Ben is a deck I have that's an AOA rush deck with the sting. If you get that first key and then you drop the sting it feels like you're getting tons of extra value. If you are playing Milosh here and you forge that first key and then you play the key lock and you, it just gives you a ton of extra tempo. Um, and so I, I do feel like it's a great card in a rush deck. Another card that um, this kind of reminds me of in a weird way is closed door negotiation. Because if you can forge mm, a key mm-hmm. when you have the closed door in hand, you get even more value out of it. And so I think if you're looking at your own key lock decks, consider looking not at like a grind deck necessarily but a rush deck and think about how you can use it there i think that's a very relatable way to look at this card yeah if you can race to that key that initial key first get out ahead and then throw the man what's the what's the mario kart throw a mushroom in their path as they're going for their key uh let's see here uh if you get if you're in getting the first key it means you finish the first lap so you're in first uh, might be more like dropping a banana peel. Banana, I was going to say banana. That was my. Yeah. Dang, that was my yeah. Thing. You should have went with banana. That's what I'm going to go with here. Dropping the banana. So yeah, dropping a banana in their path. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, very similar interaction with brig combo, right? Getting getting that first key, getting out ahead by one key is huge. Is huge because uh, I'm I'm kind of now needing to let you forge for myself to make progress. At least I'm relying on the combo. Uh, so there's a huge tempo boost. To being able to bank a key before I start, before I start throwing down these uh, these effects, man. Now I'm now I'm just like all oh, blue shell, green shell. I don't know. Well, everyone knows in in first place when you're in first place in Mario Kart, you're not getting a blue shell because they they are only go to the the back. You're not getting the lightning bolt. You're not getting. I've never I've never seen the ink from first place. I don't think that happens. And the ink is only in the newer games as well. Uh, you could get a green shell. But I feel like if you get a green shell, you're pretty lucky. Um, even with a single banana, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it behind me. I'm not gonna like drop it somewhere or fire it backwards. I'm gonna hold it. It's a defensive play in a lot of ways that I think the key lock is a defensive play because you're trying to just maintain your lead and you're trying to prevent them from being able to pass you, which is slowing them down in a way. And so whether you are dropping that banana and they're hitting it, or you're just keeping it behind you to prevent yourself from being hit by a red shell of their own. I, that's 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 the analogy here i think that works the best gotcha so when you're in front you've just taken the lead you forge your red key first that was what i that was what i took away from uh <laughs> <laughs> from that <laughs> yeah yeah i need to actually play mario kart at some point i don't know if you I've really ever... do it's a fantastic game we played at uh kfc with b hawk and vargas and a few other guys there um miggy and isawa no. we all played some mario kart that night you missed out i'm sure i've like played mario kart but never like actually 
gone and Mario Kart is the uh, Bostonian <laughs> version of, of Mario Kart. <laughs> You're pretty close to Boston geographically. I, I can forgive you. Mama Russell, who's her parents were Sicilian, right? But she grew up in Boston, as did my father. So there was a, a decent amount of, uh, of dropped R's in our household growing up. Yeah. <laughs> so Mario Kart could be a thing that we, uh, that we get into at some point. But yeah, I've played it once or twice, I'm sure, but never like really gotten into it. Well, yeah. next Vault Tour, uh, we're bringing a Switch, bringing some controllers. There will be a Mario Kart party. There you go. Okay. Yeah, and uh, folks in the chat saying that they're that they're into it, and yeah, Data Forge. Uh, ooh, kids getting into it. Yeah, my kids are like just getting to. I think my oldest is like almost to the point where we could play KeyForge, almost, almost definitely uh, an adventure, um, but definitely, definitely starting to enjoy. Like getting very curious about video games, going to be really fun. And I was absolutely wasting a lot of time playing video. Well, not wasted. No, I was spending a lot wasted. of time spending a lot of time playing video games at her age so <laughs> i played a, a ton of video games as a kid and yeah, they've tons. been instrumental to my problem solving and other kind of you know creative thinking this is this is a little bit of a tangent but i don't know uh, we have uh, some related topics on our backlog so we'll explore it for, for a second more but um i was talking to i forgot who i was talking to we're like yeah what did you do during the summer when you were a kid, I was like, well, I, I'm pretty sure there was at least two or three summers where I just sat down and played Goldeneye start to finish over and over <laughs> until the summer was over. <laughs> I've done that a lot. I was, I was yeah. a pro at Goldeneye, I must Man, say. Is, is a gem, uh, a gem in the halls of history for video games. What can I say? Anyway, the old universal key lock, <laughs> as it were. Data Forge stream trying to get us back on track here. <laughs> trying to, uh, doing doing uh, glorious work. Yeah, Universal Kila correctly. Yeah, I think Miwosh is actually pretty unique in terms and with respect to the decks that I've seen. I haven't seen too many real rush decks that will play the card. Uh, and it does cheat a little bit with the triple reclaim by nature, so it can clear it out of its own way. You, know, you don't slip over your own banana, as it were. Um, and it does also have a decent board presence that it can put out. Um, uh, so if it finds itself in a situation where the other deck is not creating heavy amber pressure from hand to test its own amber control, then it can build a board. But but yeah, rush deck that will play out that, that key lock and get lots of value at it. It's very cool to see. So that's sort of one category, which I think is a little bit more uh, unicorn on the unicorny on the unicorn scale scale of decks, as it were, uh, in this unique deck game, extra unique, um, but is a thing to look out for. Uh, the other two are a little bit more traditional. I Murphy the Precinct Shielder is one uh, that I will, I'm, I'm sure, not forget to include in the show notes. Um, but I think it's a little bit more of what you expect to see from a deck that calls itself a key lock deck. Um, lots more key cost increasers and ways to punish you for ha being high on amber, right? So this is a Worlds Collide deck uh, with Triple Eddy to go alongside key lock. You also got Crassosaurus for uh, mass capture and an exile, right? So uh, the game plan here is, or at least that screams of a game plan of, yeah, tempt them into higher and higher amber totals. Uh, if they must forge, the uh, eddies will additionally tax them. So they're making some very expensive keys. And the the kind of real kicker here is you are setting up a a crushing combo with the Crassosaurus and Exile, right? A 10 ember, a 20 ember swing, uh, as it were. And you don't really mind just waiting for that to come together right you've got a lot of other tools to take take control of the board 
um, some big duders to fight fight around. And if they want to just wait, like you're okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. So this is this is sort of in the class of uh, of keylock decks that are like, yeah, I just I'm just fine waiting. And if we wait, that's cool. Eventually, I'm going to have a stranglehold on the holding the board. And if I need to forge through, fine. And I will have the tools to uh, combat your counterpunch when the keylock goes away. Right. So I'll drop that Eddie. I'll follow with the Crassosaur. Even if I forge at nine, you're not getting a retail key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as the opponent if your opponent's dropping a key lock you also want to figure out like what's their game plan like what are they trying to do with this a deck like this would obviously be trying to set up the crassosaurus so it does provide that like that extra synergy to enable the crassosaurus because not every deck can pull off a crassosaurus exile but the ones that can they can be pretty devastating and so i think as the opponent you really want to sometimes you just want to plow through the key lock and just say like all right it's fine i'm going to pay extra for this but I can't afford to wait. I can't afford to sit back and let them set up what they're trying to do uh, for their big payoff. And you just got to plow through it. I think that's a lot of times that's the best strategy for, you know, like it's sometimes hard to dance around cards like TMTP as well. If you're like worried about them taking too much because they might have other cards to take you off check. And you're just really like setting yourself back in the tempo way too much when you try to dance. And I think in the key lock is, is one where, um, you have to evaluate what tools you have and what tools they have. And you might just want to be the one to just say like, you know what, I'm just going to pay nine and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the reasons why I love these double-sided artifact discussions is it's not just about the artifact itself, but I think when you take a symmetric effect and you ask, you know, what do I want to see with it? Uh, how do I play with this sort of new rule added to the game? It really tells you a lot about your deck and not just the card, right? So. And a matchup, right? With this new constraint or with this new effect in play, that's that's completely symmetric. Like, what does that what does that mean for this matchup? And Keylock is really asking you to say, like, all right, but no, for real, which one of us is rushing here, and which one of us has this has this long term inevitability on their side? And when you look at a deck like I Murphy, it's unlikely that the inevitability is going to be on your side, right? If the game goes long, this deck is probably going to take over. And losing three, paying an extra three tax is almost certainly worth uh, is almost certainly worth getting out in front of a Crassosaurus exile, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. This one it doesn't have a ton of creature control that would take care of the Crassosaurus. It looks like it would really need to either get lucky on a crazy killing machine or just fight it off. So um, you know that's another thing you might want to look for. Um, I mean that's kind of specific to this deck, but. Um, I, I do see that it's difficult for this one to take out the Crassosaurus, um, but it's still a big swing. You know, like you're still, that is still setting them back, um, slowing down their game plan, uh, giving yourself more time to get set up. And maybe at that point, after you exile, at that point, you're totally fine paying nine because as soon as you kill that Crass, you got another key waiting for you anyway. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and you're right. They're, they're, the deck does sometimes the trick with this deck in particular, is figuring out how to kill that Crassosaurus. Or you just treat it as 10 crushed amber, and, and that's fine too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, nice nice old pompadus for your uh, for centurions to come in swinging hard. That's uh, true. It's nice. It's nice too. Good point. Uh, yeah. But it's a cool deck. It's a very fun deck uh, and does make good use of key lock as well as the other key cost increasers in there. And I think, yeah, it sort of exemplifies what this additional rule can mean for a deck and and uh how you play into it 
you'd love to see another uh, a cutthroat or two, but can't have it all. Yeah, it doesn't have any cutthroats, but um, it's got it's got tools to take them off check in every house with two frames over there in Star Alliance. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of important too, um, just in general. But you know, maybe with the key lock, do, do you think that's valuable as well to have the ability to take them off check in any house? I think it's super valuable. Um, and the frames made better with frames, frames blaster and pompous too. Um, but yeah, when you get into these sort of cat and mouse games, you really don't want to be pigeonholed into a house to, uh, to kind of keep the tension building. Um, so an extra, an extra steal here or an extra, uh, capture there can go a long way. Um, especially if they're trying not to get too high for Crassosaurus to get full value. Um, nine versus 10, not a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. but, but if they're trying to sneak through a key for, uh, key for six before you've got any increasers come down, it's nice to not be forced into logos or Sorium, but have an option in star Alliance too. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. So cool. So I'm Murphy, very happy to sit there behind key lock, let the tension build and wait for a big payoff. And the, the last deck that I had really, uh, picked out as one that shows off key lock is a deck that I've been playing an awful lot in Kagi this season. Been a lot of fun to explore. Uh, reprehensibly unflappable cane. Also doesn't have a ton of amber control. Well, uh, some, you know, double infernus and eddy, a keylock, cutthroat, and malazan. So you have that nice, tasty uh, cutthroat research universal keylock combo. And uh, this one is a little bit different, a little bit different. It is also very happy to sit there and not make amber and have nobody forge keys for, an, for a while. Uh, so in that in that sense, it's similar to Murphy, uh, but has a lot less tools, a lot fewer tools to draw the game out and and take advantage of a big swing kind of all in a moment. Instead, uh, this deck has one thing this deck does do, though, is it has a really cool sort of self purge and uh, and using the archives as a purge zone uh, line to it. And if you allow it to sit there and uh, deck craft. Uh, it can get to a point where it's very, very hard to do things <laughs> against the deck. I've a lot of played a lot of games where you have all of the dis and star alliance either purged or archived, and then you end up in a situation where you've got a couple tau tau vapors and a cutthroat research, and you just sit behind key lock rule of sixing cutthroat research to get them below get them below nine, which cutthroat research can do, and forging your keys, redrawing the cutthroat research. I'm uh, oh, sorry, the universal key lock and plopping it back down. Uh, and usually the Eddie and Eddie and key lock do sort of a dance there to keep the key costs high. It sounds like a pipe dream, but I've seen you do it a number of times. I'm, I'm here explaining it. And I have this picture in my mind of that dude with the gif and he's got like the wall with all this, all the strings. And like, he's just like, yeah, I got this crazy plan, but like it kind of works often. And even when you don't get to the, or it does work often. And even when you don't get to the point of actually getting down to just, you know, six or seven cards, uh, in your in your hand, and there's a long tail uh, leading up to that where you've got 12 cards in your deck, and so you're playing key lock every other turn instead of every turn, uh, or every third turn, and Eddie every second turn, kind of leading up to that, which is still pretty good, and it plays a big role in stalling the game out there and drawing things out, um, and it's still very happy to like not make any amber until it gets to that point. Much different than Murphy, uh, it's it has to work to get to that point and close out the game. There's a lot of interesting decisions leading up to that on whether you can actually make it to to that state or if you should abandon the plan and go with a different route. Yeah, it seems a bit similar to 
to Murphy in some regards, um, kind of trying to delay the game long enough to get to your your big payoff, right? And so mm-hmm. as the opponent, you're just trying to just play through that. You know, you, this is another one where you have to recognize, like, I'm up against the key lock. I cannot play into their slow game plan here and just have to power through it sometimes. Because um, I believe this one de- could definitely lose uh, a rush game here. You know, like, if someone's trying to just play the long game and force you to forge for nine, they could be making a big mistake here. Yeah, against this one, you are almost always wanting to power through that one. For those listening and not looking at the deck at the moment, just try to think about like what what is their plan with the key lock? Are they just playing it for a pip and hopefully having you forge for three, or do they have bigger plans in mind? Are they trying to get you to you know to to dance around it? Uh, is there a payoff they're trying to set up? You know, all kinds of things that you should think about when you see it. A lot of decks though are just going to be decks with a key lock in it, and you maybe maybe you can afford to like use it to your own advantage by setting up your own payoff in that regard. But try to look at at the deck you're playing against to see if they can take advantage of it more than you can, just like you would with any double-sided artifact. You know, like Ulfert Device is going to be a discard in a lot of games. Curiosaurus is going to be a discard. Uh, Whirlpool is never a discard, but you probably should discard <laughs> it sometimes. I've been there. Um, and this is really no different. You know, like you have to think about which deck is going to be able to take advantage of this more um, and sometimes maybe you just get like immediate value from it. Like if you see that they have like 10 Amber, you just drop it. No problem. Like it's just a it's tax. It's no questions about it. Um, mm-hmm. Not really like, you know, any question about that kind of play. It's just basically it's an evil eye at that point, um, which is perfectly fine. And so there's going to be situations like that that come up, but there's other times when, you know, you have to do that dance and figure out if this is the right card to play or not. Totally. Totally. How often do you discard it? Do, how often do I discard Universal Keylock with this deck? It just in general. It doesn't have to be with this deck or a different one. Like, mm. What situations would you encounter in a game where you have a Keylock in hand and you're like, I'm just going to discard this. I'm not going to play it. The most common situation I can think of is when I still need Key 2 and my opponent is working on Key 3. For sure. Outside of that... I, I mean, you know, or I'm behind on keys generally. I, I think you could probably defend still playing it when your opponent is on working on key two and you need to forge key one. But yeah, definitely if they're working on key three and you need to forge key two, it's it's more likely a discard. That kind of plays into the, the idea that this is a good card in a rush deck. Because if you're behind, it becomes a much weaker card. Yeah, it's... It's a little bit, a little bit win more in that scenario, I guess, but it does favor the the rush deck there. It does not, definitely does not help you catch up as the not rush player in that scenario for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's fair to say. Are there any specific cards that your opponent might have in their deck that you would look for to discard? Obviously, things like TMTP can make it a little bit tricky if you're planning on going through the nine yourself. Um, yep. But like, maybe think about something outside of set, something that you don't normally see together with a key lock. What would kind of scare you? That's a good question. Yes, the scaling, scaling steel is a big one. So you've got TMTP outside of set. Do you have one in mind? Uh, I'm not coming up with anything great. Uh, well, I haven't thought about this, but what about like, would a key hammer make you reconsider this? Mm. Like, say you you rush out and you forge your first key for six, then you drop the key lock. They could drop a key hammer on you, unforge it, make you pay for nine, and destroy the key lock. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. I don't know if it's a bad thing, 
or if it's just a good play from the from the key hammer, good use of for the key hammer. But I wonder if that's something that like I don't think that's necessarily like a reason to not play it. It's a it's an interesting question. I mean, I uh, I'd like to think I'd at least pause to consider <laughs> uh, that like what would happen in that case. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'd have to have a good read. I'd probably still play it an awful lot, but you would get you would be getting hosed. You'd be getting hosed there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything in Winds of Exchange pop out to you? So we did talk about uh, we did talk about closed door being kind of kind of interesting with it, and that would goes both ways, right? So if they have closed door, they can get a potentially bigger steal, uh, but then they're forging through the key lock themselves and letting you drop. So and letting you draw. I'm trying to think of like what would this look like against like a heavy subsidies type deck, which I know you love. Um, if you have like a lot of global taxation going on, is this how does that combo with that? You know, if keys are already going to be costing, you know, twelve for anyone, that make this any different, any better, any worse? About the same. Heavy subsidies is interesting. It sort of dilutes the effect a little bit. The I think it comes back to you know if my deck wants to be slowing the game down and that's why i'm playing the card i'm trying to think if there are cards or situations where all of a sudden you know when i played key lock i was wanting to slow the game down but now all of a sudden i i don't want it slowed down anymore hmm. i don't know if anything like heavy subsidies or additional taxers falls in that camp i think additional taxers are usually going to be okay yeah that's a great question i don't know if i have a great uh answer there though you'll find one and then you can edit it in and put it in the podcast version it'll be so that's fun. right <laughs> it's in the show notes folks yeah that's right <laughs> this great that's idea right. i'm gonna save it for the show notes <laughs> yeah this is just build up i i intentionally am putting in the show notes to make folks uh check there <laughs> there you go Speaking of show notes, this is not about show notes, uh, but big, <laughs> uh, big, big thanks to the folks who uh, who sent in topic suggestions to topics tonight and puzzles to puzzles three four five seven. Uh, very cool to see uh, that the email system works. So test the email system, <laughs> and we'll have to uh, we'll have to draw uh, some of those uh, raffles soon. Episode or two, maybe we'll get, let it run for a little bit longer. Yeah. JT's trying to give away my Vault Master deck. So, and I believe if anyone, if, if, what's what's the what's the game here? If they send in a puzzle or a topic suggestion, they're entered in the raffle. Yes. So there is topics tonight at sloppylabwork.com or puzzles three four five seven at sloppylabwork.com or this is a really bad idea at sloppylabwork.com. Any of those <laughs> gets you. Uh, gets you an entry to win one of Quickdraw's uh, Vault Master 23 decks. And we'll pull that drawing sometime in January, maybe? Sometime in January. Sometime in January. Yeah, we'll leave it open a little longer. Got some cool ones already. Uh, yeah, yeah, saw, the, <laughs> saw those come in DataForge stream. Thank you much, Lee, indeed. Excellent. A couple other suggested questions here for the interactions. Uh, first scroll. First scroll, super interesting card. We haven't talked about that one yet, have we? I think that might be on our list of double-sided artifacts it is it's probably on our list we haven't it done is. a ton of saurian actually have we i was just tallying we did curiosaurus obviously and that is the only saurian double-sided artifact we've done so far yeah the first scroll is super interesting so i guess there are decks that could have the first scroll and key lock that's a two rare cross house combo so probably not going to encounter it very often i do love the first scroll i think obviously with the first scroll um now, if we could just, if I can find the first scroll to read it for some people real quick, 
Um, it is a Saurian artifact that comes in Dark Tidings. It's another item. After a player forges a key, each creature they control captures one from its own side. So with the key lock out, you have less amber when you forge to capture if you're the one paying nine for it. However, if they're paying like eight plus for it as like the second person to forge after the key lock's been destroyed, then it gets a little bit more value. Man, we, this is going to be a fun episode when we do the first scroll. It's a card that I had high hopes for when DT was first spoiled, and yeah. I was not able to really find something I loved with it. Um, haven't been able to take advantage of it yet. Um, so, uh, Data Forge Stream, I am gonna I'm gonna punt the answer on that one to the first scroll episode. But um, you did talk about you did also ask about Brig, and so JT, you were talking about Brig and how it interacts with with uh, the key lock for you already. Um, you can't get Brig. Actually, you can get Brig in a Keylock deck now with Vault Masters. With Vault Masters, you can, and you also will. You can run into situations where your opponent uh, plays a Keylock, and you're playing Brig, like we were sure. mentioning before. So it's it's worth understanding the interaction. That really does come down to yeah, gaming out what happens post post Brig. The Keylock Amber almost doesn't matter a ton to be honest because you're talking about really big totals um but yeah uh the tempo the tempo and uh, can matter an awful lot though yeah i think i probably am not playing key lock into brig unless i have a good reason a good reason to i i just did a search there are five decks in existence with key lock and brig three of them are vault master one is unchained in a super cool unchained deck that has brig and Time Traveler, and Infomancer, and Keylock. Very cool deck. And uh, the fifth one is a Worlds Collide deck with a Legacy Binate Rupture and an Interdimensional Graft. Oh, is that, uh, is that the Rise deck, or is that... Uh... No, this is the Chinese deck. It's uh, not owned by either of them. The Brigadier General Rise, I think, has a really cool Worlds Collide deck that features Brig. Uh, with a legacy binding rupture. Yeah, I've seen a few um, World's Collide Brig decks. It's pretty cool. In fact, I, while we're on the topic of Brig, I I actually have a Vault Master Brig deck. There's no key lock in it. But I'm really, I'm just now realizing the power of having Brig in a deck with actual good cards as opposed <laughs> to most of what comes in AOA. It's pretty remarkable. I have a couple other Brig decks from AOA and they're usually just like, oh, I got some capturing here. I can like, try to increase the chances of pulling off the brig, but for the most part, you're like fighting against the rest of the deck to, you know, pull off the brig and win that way. But when you get brig in a vault master deck, it's actually just really powerful to have that surrounded by a lot of other potentially very good cards. I don't have it in uh, in a vault master deck, but in Aslan, it's quite good, largely because of all the other pips. You're playing kind of as a rush deck that happens to have uh, a gnarly combo in there too. So very, very cool. Oh, had a had a question too from uh, from the chat here asking about with with Kane does uh, Keylock become Eddy food? Uh, yeah, or Invernus food? Um, yeah, it's a good good question. I'm I'm often sad if it gets purged by my opponents uh, Invernuses, and I'm very much loath to purge it myself. Let's see if I can pull up a screenshot that's not helpful at all for the folks who are here with audio. But yeah, this is kind of the the setup that you're hoping to get. At the end, with uh, with key lockdown, uh, both Tao Tao vapors in hand with cutthroat and a big old archives for your eddies to back up 
uh, your your key too if you have to forge it through keylock. But yeah, once your discard once your draw pile and discard pile are empty, the two tau taus let you redraw into the cutthroats and and uh, and keylocks to keep your opponent from forging. And if you need some tau tau fodder, you can always pull the archives and get back up to a six card archive. Uh, that turn seven with Eddie too. Pretty spicy when it gets to that point, though. It does take some work. Good stuff. Well, does that mean well we're gonna see this Vault Master, uh, this Vault Master Keylock deck when we play our game, or are we seeing the Whirlpool deck? Probably the Whirlpool oh, deck. Oh, it's gonna be the Whirlpool. Uh, no, the the one that I have, the Vault Master, is not a Keylock deck. It is a Brig deck. Just the Brig deck, right? Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, there is a hundred and four Saz Vault Master deck out there with Triple Eddie and Brig. And uh, Val Jericho, and it is owned by none other than Dick Rowland. So I saw that deck before. That was actually opened at uh, Philly. That one was opened at Philly, if I remember right, on the Philly Vault Tour. I feel like all of the good ones were opened in Philly. Well, it was one of the first decks where people looked at it and said, "Oh, oh goodness, this is this is going to be bad. These decks are really strong." And I think this one also falls into the category of very highly rated decks that maybe don't have much creature control. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it needs it though. It has a Grand Alliance Council and it's got two Lost in the Woods. And it's 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 a rush deck. It's got nineteen pips, thirty-one expected amber, it's got a Val Jericho to house cheat, it's got seven cards that archive, twenty-three speed. It's got plenty of creature control, I think, for what it's trying to do. Sounds pretty spicy. So no, um you won't see that for me tonight. That's not my deck. All right. Well, do you think we have time for a quick uh billion dollar plan, five dollar blunder? before we uh, head on to our game. <laughs> if you have a, a blunder to share, then yes, we always have time for it. I do. This one came from actually uh, an NKFL match two weeks ago. I can't recall exactly, but was a cool game, really cool game. I was playing a woe deck, the same woe deck that I played at KFC, and this deck features Talent Scout and Pull-Up Stakes. Pretty rude combo, so you get to steal at the end of the day, two creatures from their hand, make a make a few amber, and get a whole lot of information, right? So you play the talent scout, steal a creature. Uh, the talent scout goes to their side of the board, pull up stakes, sends it back to your hand, and you shuffle away one of the creatures that you wanted to shuffle or the creature you stole from them, and you know also get the option of uh, stealing with talent scout on the second play one of the creatures that you bounce. Really cool, very rude combo. My opponent was working on their second key. So they had one key in. I was pushing for my third key and was very worried about a uh, too much to protect and urchin combo from them, right? So I had a lot of amber. I'm like, all right, they're going to team TP me and then play urchin. And uh, then I'm going to be in real tough shape because they've also got this uh, key charge looming too. So if they take me off check on the next turn, I'm done for. This was sort of my thinking. Uh, so I play this talent scout, see the urchin. I'm like, great, got it, awesome. Then the, all they've got is this TMTP, and uh, I'm still going to forge, so no big deal. So I steal the uh, steal the urchin. Uh, it comes in to my side. I shuffle it away with pull up stakes, and then I take uh, a witch of the eye as the second card. And I'm like, okay, great, got it. And immediately have the sinking feeling where I realize my mistake uh, because they also, of course, had a um, uh, speed sigil in play, right? So they their next turn was uh, nature's call to bounce the the witch, make a whole boatload of amber with dust pixies and uh, hunting, which is coming from archives, and got to key charge, play the the witch first, ready to reclaim the key charge and forge two keys that turn. And of course, if I had uh, stopped to think for a moment and 
stolen the witch first instead of second, it would have safely gotten shuffled away. So cost me, uh, cost me the game and probably uh, two keys. No, just one key. One key, but a game there. So maybe, yeah. maybe it ended up being a critical game for the standings too. So it was a, quite a blunder. I have um, a couple decks with Talent Scout and Pull-Up Stakes. Like you said, it's an amazing combo. And it is a little bit tricky to think about like the order. Because you're thinking, like, I'm going to steal mm. two creatures. It's all no big deal. It's fine. Um, but the order of them definitely matters. And I, I can see that being a tricky one to navigate, especially that situation. I think I was watching that game. And um, there's a lot of variables there, especially knowing that they had a massive archive full of Untamed as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Is a, if there's a lesson there, it's yeah, re as soon as you get the new information, you know, stop and think, uh, sort of a thing. Uh I kind of plowed through with my original plan. Um, but if I had uh had stopped to think there for a second, it would have been pretty pretty clear uh the few moments earlier when it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one should have been first. But womp womp. Oh. Billion dollar plan, five dollar blunder, my guy. <laughs> it happens. It happens to the best of us. Usually you, but sometimes to everyone else too. It happens to me and the best of us too. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Um, and we have a sponsor this evening as well. We do. Uh, actually, this is a cool sponsor. Uh, folks that I really enjoy were having lots of smudges around the house. But uh, this episode of the Bottom Beaker was sponsored by Snudge's Smudge Remover, the key to pristine parchment in the crucible banish unwanted ink stains faster than a key forge archon flipping their third key with snudge's magical formula your smudges will disappear like shadows in the night and for a truly flawless finish for a limited time we'll include a free pack of cleansing wave wet wipes with every purchase when you use promo code bottom of the beaker at checkout thank you very much uh, snudge's smudge remover uh, folks, I want to let you all know that Bottle Beaker is recorded live right here on twitch.tv slash sloppy lab work every Wednesday evening at 930 Eastern for archives of our past shows and other recordings. Head over to youtube.com where at sloppy lab work over there. And for the very best content, uh, 34, no, 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 57 times distilled and scraped from the Bottle Beaker. Search for that very phrase in your podcatcher of choice, and we'll have it right there for you all key locked up. Uh, thanks very much quick draw as always any final words for the folks getting off last audio stop thanks everybody for tuning in live this evening and stay sloppy